Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. Everything that I'm currently creating can be found at chrisrawl.com. There are essays up, the show is there, and if you want to subscribe and sign up for my newsletter, you can do so there for free. You are listening to this show. Please remember to subscribe and download. Please, if you can, leave a five-star rating review on Apple. If you can, share it with a friend. If you want to reach out and connect in any way, please email me at chris at ceo.com. Now, on to today's episode, a discussion of self-evaluation and the field of NFL title contenders. I want to talk today about honesty and belief, how these two things can work together in unison or against each other, depending upon the situation and how when explored correctly, you can find an equilibrium between honesty and belief that enables the best version of yourself. This all ties into assessing what you actually are. It's one of the processes that I love. It's the continual search for improvement that I've spoken to before that I practice within my own life in a variety of ways, both past and present. And I want to mention two specifically today to kind of set the stage for our segue into the NFL playoffs and this field of NFL title contenders. The first area that I want to discuss in my own life is writing. For my money, it is my favorite and most fulfilling creative process. And I think there's certain misnomers from people who don't really write or haven't gone through the extensive process to produce a, a, a full-fledged, complete work. Because the back-and-forth process that occurs to begin with in your own writing with yourself and then in stages with your editor, it's a surprisingly harsh process. What usually happens is I write something up and I feel great about it and I go, oh, what a good line there and oh, great themes here and oh, this is my best stuff yet. And I send it to my editor and she goes over it and in a couple of days she goes, all right, you know, got my first round of edits done, go check them out. And it's just marked up here and this isn't very good and you need to move all this around and you need to take this all out. And I'm looking at it every single time without fail. I've been doing this professionally for almost a decade. Every single time I'm always amazed the amount of things that need to be changed with something that I thought was pretty close to being a finished product. And every time it's true. Uh, my editor, she's very good at what she does. And I go, oh, yeah, that's okay. I, I see where you're coming from. Oh, yeah, that probably does. I do need to literally just delete those 300 words that I wrote that I thought were good. And oh yeah, I need to completely restructure this. And so you go through that and you go through that and you go through another round and you go through another round. And every single time I get a sense of what goes into the process of writing and the search to be better within that own field and the combination of honesty and belief that needs to occur. Honesty with what is actually good and what is not and belief that you need to have there that just in the back of your mind, you're going, no, 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 I know how to do this. I'm good at this. Uh, it just takes time. And I know that she's good at what she does on the editing side, and it's just going to take time. And every single time I realize it starts as this big block of stone, essentially, and I think it's a finished product, and I realize it's just a big blob, and then we etch this and hack this and hack this, and over the course of time, we get to the end, and it turns into the sculpture that it ends up being. It's kind of the idea that I have in my mind of how writing works. 
and why I find it to be incredibly fulfilling. And ultimately, this process that can be harsh, why I find it to be really beneficial and really stimulating uh, in this particular sense. The other area that I want to touch on that really circles around these themes, honesty and belief and being able to combine them into assessing what you truly are and using that to get better is the realm of golf where I am obsessed with trying to find the equilibrium between honesty and belief. It's kind of a paradox within the game because on one hand, you need honesty in order to truly improve within the game of golf. But on the other hand, you need belief in order to continually perform, which those two concepts seem at war with one another. Because how do you have belief in something that, if you are being honest, needs improvement in a lot of ways? Those things seem like they can't work together. Probably why it is such a magnetic draw in my mind and for a lot of other people. Because when you find some semblance of equilibrium between the two sides, a lot of things click into place in your mind and with your game. And it allows you to be that best version of yourself. And you can extrapolate that outwards and understand, ooh, this is a pretty enticing cocktail that I could use in a lot of ways in a lot of avenues in life. So in golf, how my mind works is I have to kind of turn it into an equation. As I'm trying to assess myself, what areas do I need to improve, but also identify the things that I believe in, the things that are not up for debate. I'm not here to, I know for a fact, if worst case scenario occurs today, these are the things that are unshakable, that I can believe in, that I can ride to shooting a good score. You know, think of it in mathematical terms where there's the one variable, and that's the that's the thing that's always up for debate. It's the area that I'm trying to improve continually. And the other things that I have to identify and that I have to be honest about are the things that can't be moved. This is what I can rely on in the hardest moments of my golf career. For me, that's my putter, that's my wedge, that's my mind. It's the 100 yards and in-game, and it's my ability to A, think through things, B, be able to bounce back continually over and over and over, which is really key within golf, being able to weather adversity, being able to manage emotions, stay calm, all that kind of stuff. Those are the things that for me are not up for debate. And the rest, I got to go through this process again and again and again. How do I improve? What areas are up for debate? And what is realistic about me improving in those areas? So you get a sense that it's, it's a hard balance to find. The full honesty that allows you to improve in areas that need improving but the continual belief in the things you are good at. You get a sense. They both make sense independently, but in unison, it's kind of a spicy blend. It brings to mind a story that I heard on a podcast from former professional golfer Jeff Ogilvie, very good golfer during his time. And he was relating a story that was, it was really good for somebody like me to hear, a person who's always thinking about that equation And thinking about that variable and going, wow, man, I wish that I was a better driver of the golf ball. Or I wish my approach play was just better from 150 to 200 yards. Or I wish this, or I wish that, and I wish that. And he relays a story about when he was on tour 
And he's saying people don't understand that the way the human brain works is the same, even at the very top of this profession. No matter how good you are, you always want to steal bits and pieces of others. Uh, these people, they're always struggling with this mix of honesty and belief. He talks about in the locker room before tournaments, he just hear these professionals and they're always talking. These are the very best players in the world at their craft. Any amateur golfer like myself would die for any piece of their game to be able to be incorporated into my own. And they would sit there and go, if you just gave me that guy's driver, I mean, I would just whoop everybody's ass here on tour. And then the next guy's going, well, yeah, but if I'm great at driving, but if you just gave me that guy's wedge play, I would whoop everybody's ass on tour. And you see that just reflected in life. I see that in myself when I'm looking at others in the game and I, and I just, I envy certain aspects that they have, their strengths. And I take for granted my own unshakable things that other people are saying within my own life. And they're going, if you just gave me Chris's putter, I whoop everybody's ass out here. Or if you just could take his brain out right now and put it into mine and, and I just had full control of what I'm thinking and doing and feeling, man, I would whoop everybody's ass out here. So you get a sense that this is something everybody struggles with and it's hard. And it, it, even when you get it, a lot of times it's kind of fleeting. It's momentary. At least it is in my own life because I'm not a master in this area. It's something I'm always trying to find continually over and over and over. This balance. How do I get it? How do I get it? How am I honest? How do I believe? And how do those two things work in unison in my own life so that I can get better? Kind of leads into these two questions that I think are really important. The first is just what is realistic? That's a lot of the honesty side of the equation. And then the second part is just, what do I have currently that is unshakable? That's the belief. So these are important themes to explore in general, in my opinion. And they are very important themes to explore for teams that are trying to win a championship. Craft of building up a team and putting it in position to win. And being honest with yourself about, we might have lost this year, but did we truly, truly have a chance to win a championship? Because if so, then we feel comfortable making tweaks on the edges, but running this core back. But if we're honest and we got somewhat close, but we do not think we're a title contender, then change is necessary in order to be the best version of ourselves. So there's a bunch of NFL teams that are long gone from the playoff picture. Teams that most definitely did not understand the honesty side of the equation. Uh, I would think down at the bottom of the league, and I'd look at a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, and i go, you unfortunately have not been very honest with yourself because you came into this season and you said, Urban Meyer's going to be a great coach, and we could have we could win the AFC South because Deshaun Watson's not playing, and we don't think this division's really good, and we got Trevor Lawrence, and we could we could do some damage this year. Uh, and that was not rooted in reality. What they should have been saying is, Urban Meyer's never coached this level, and is this really what we want to entrust this young team that probably shouldn't have a lot of aspirations for this season, but we're trying to take baby steps this year. Is this really the person that we want to have come in? So it turns out, no, because it was just a disaster. And he acted like a weird dictator and didn't care about football 
and then he didn't even make it through the season. Another team that probably even qualifies more so in just an immense whiff on the being honest with yourself front is the New York Giants. Because the Giants, strangely, somehow, I don't know how, they convinced themselves coming to the season that they had legitimate aspirations. We can be a playoff team. Uh, we're going to go out and spend money in free agency. And we got a core that we believe in. We think Daniel Jones is going to be good. And we got Jason Garrett to call plays. And Saquon's coming back from injury. And we got some young talent. And we can accentuate that. And we can go and sign somebody like Kenny Galladay from the Lions for $20 million a year to play wide out. Because we think that we're just a couple pieces away from being really good. And that was not true. They spent $20 million on Kenny Galladay for him to not even have 500 yards receiving with multiple more years left on that same immense contract. And Daniel Jones has not really shown a lot that says he's a good, reasonable starting NFL quarterback in the league. And Saquon has not been able to stay healthy. Go on down the list. There's just a lot of things that I think the Giants believed about themselves that almost all of them proved to be false. That's why Joe Judge is no longer their coach. That's why Dave Gettleman is no longer their general manager. And now they're trying to start anew. And hopefully they can get people in place that have a better grasp of how honesty and belief work in unison. And before you can believe in anything, you have to assess and you have to be honest. So last weekend, a handful of teams exit the playoffs. And now they are going through this process, this process of the offseason, the process that I love in my own life, find it to be very valuable. I also find it to be hard. And the teams that exited last week, they're going to be going through these hoops, if you will. And I don't think that we saw anybody exit that, in my opinion, should feel comfortable in the offseason saying, we were a legitimate title contender. I don't think that any of those teams that are gone checked that box. But I do think that these teams had a lot of good things that if you were looking at and being honest, you say, mm, I think these things are not up for debate. I think these can form the core of something pretty solid. And now what the process is, is identifying the variables and how we can improve in those areas. Think about a team like the Raiders, who lost to the Bengals, and they had a lot of good things this year. You know, they weathered the adversity of the John Gruden stuff, of the Henry Rugg stuff, stayed focused. Derek Carr had a very nice season. Hunter Renfro had a great season. Darren Waller, we know, is good when he's healthy. Max Crosby somehow came out of the blue and turned into a bona fide superstar pass rusher. They have decent things in place in, in really uh, important areas. There's a lot of other areas that have kind of dragged them down, as we saw in that Bengals loss and throughout this season. So now they're sitting there going, okay, let's be honest, and let's find ways that we can improve. It's the same for all of these teams. The New England Patriots, the Bills want them. They have good things in place. Belichick, that defense, their ability to run the football. They got to look in other areas and say, what do we think of Mac Jones? What do we think of this passing attack? What do we think about just our team overall? Same thing with the Eagles. I would say you look right at the quarterback position. And I don't have a good answer. I have my opinion. I personally probably wouldn't want Jalen Hurts starting as my quarterback if I had championship aspirations. But the Eagles are going to have to go into an offseason and look specifically at that spot and say, mm, we need to be honest and we're going to have to make a hard decision here one way or the other. 
either we're sinking our hopes and dreams into somebody who has not really shown the ability to be able to drop back and pass consistently when the defense knows it coming, or we think we can build together an offense somewhat like the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, who is a significantly better thrower than Hurts, but it's the same kind of concept. An offense that's tailored to the specifics of the quarterback. Do we think that if we build that, we can be a championship contender? That's the question they're answering. Cowboys, roster talent across the board. And they're looking at Mike McCarthy and the coaching staff and saying, how much did this truly drag us down? They got to be honest. Pittsburgh Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger, he's gone. They have good things in place. TJ Watt, Cameron Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick on the defense. They have a good amount of skill position players that are maddeningly inconsistent. Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, Najee Harris. They don't have the ability to block on the offensive line. Kind of problematic. But they got to assess. They got to forge a path for what they think is going to be uh, a path to championship contention. Arizona Cardinals get bonked on Monday night. I just, I can't make sense of that team. There are times when I think Kyler Murray is one of the best players in the league. There are times that I think he's one of the worst. There are times that I think he's completely dragged down by his situation. I can't make up my mind. So I can only imagine being in the building and trying to make up their mind on the path moving forward. The Kyler-Cliff combo. What's going on on defense? DeAndre Hopkins, can we get you to stay healthy? Do we like all the pieces here on offense? James Conner and Chase Edmond in the backfield or Ronnell Moore and Christian Kirk and A.J. Green. So all these teams are gone. And we're moving into the weekend. My favorite NFL weekend of the entire year, the divisional round. Eight teams left. Reasonable case to be made that these are the eight best teams in football. The only one that I think maybe could bump in is the Cowboys, if you feel that way. But the inconsistency that they had down the stretch, I would say these are the eight best teams left in football. We arrived at the right place. So we're going to have four of these teams lose over this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And that's why I want to talk about this now, because it touches on another subject that I'm really passionate about in this process of self-assessment. It's the idea that just because you did not win does not mean you are not capable of winning. We talk about that a lot on this show, you all know. And in the aftermath of a loss, which again, four teams will be sitting there stewing over after this weekend, in the aftermath of those losses is where the equilibrium between honesty and belief is key because you got to make a decision. Do we tear it down? Do we continue building? Or if we truly believe that we could have won a title this year, but for whatever reason we did not, are we content with saying the same? Just making fringe changes, but understanding, no, our core is unshakable. And we have a belief that we believe will manifest itself that we can win a championship with this particular team. So the first game on Saturday is Bengals and Titans. Two teams that have a lot of good things, two teams that have flaws, as all of these teams have shown over the course of the year. If you want to pluck out the best things that make them Super Bowl contenders, you can. If you want to pluck out the flaws that will lead to their inevitable demise, and we can all say after the fact, well, we already knew. You can say that about all eight of these teams. But I do believe that there are pathways to all eight of these teams being able to win the Super Bowl this year. Some, it will be harder than others. These are two of the teams that I think it will be harder, the Bengals and the Titans. But I also understand there are core things about these teams that make sense. That if I'm moving forward, regardless of what happens on Saturday, I'm going, these are not up for debate. 
the Bengals, it's Joe Burrow and that combination of young receiving talent. Jamar Chase, holy cow. He's already one of the very best receivers in the league. He is incredible. And that's accentuated by T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, two great receivers in their own right that just form maybe the most terrifying combination of wide receivers in the league. There's other good stuff on that Bengals team, but that's where you start. That's why in this season you say, it wouldn't shock me if this team just fed off of the swagger of that combination and they just won this week and they somehow upset the Bills or the Chiefs next week. They somehow upset uh, NFC team in the Super Bowl. The Titans, we know what's not up for debate. Brable and that coaching staff, they've instilled incredible toughness alongside the lines on that team. Defensive, offensive lines were going to be physical. That's You learned it from the Belichick tree, and, and he's done a really good job of creating that same style and mantra within the Tennessee Titans. It's not up for debate. Ryan Tannehill running play action with hopefully Derrick Henry, who's supposed to be back on Saturday. That stuff's not up for debate. Crafted a great winning formula over the last couple of years. Everything else, you know, there are flaws with both these teams. Bengals, they can get shaky on the coaching staff. Their defense, it's okay, but it's not by any means elite. Titans, drop back passing game, okay. That can get a little wobbly if the teams know it's coming. They can get a little conservative with how stuff is going, and they can get pretty rigid in how they call plays. Their defense, again, can be really good. It also has hiccups. But we get a grasp of these teams. We understand right now before one of them has lost and before one of them has won. I personally can right now understand a lot of what makes sense about these teams and a lot of what does not. And also realize that everybody who wins a championship, they're going to have noticeable flaws that have shown throughout the season, and you overcome them in ways X, Y, or Z. That's just how winning a championship works. So the Saturday night game, it's the Niners and the Packers. It's two teams, that much like the Bengals and the Titans, have things that are great about them, have things that could lead to their demise. Niners, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. It's that drop-back passing game. It's their secondary. Those are the things that give cause for pause. But they know how to run the hell out of the ball, and they know how to rush the passer. And those are two incredible things to have at your disposal in the playoffs. And they have Kyle Shanahan, who's a great coach. Packers, they struggle to stop the run from time to time. And their defense can get freaky as hell, and their special teams is amongst the worst in the league. Those are things that, when they enter into the offseason, they're going to have to take a long, hard look at. But they have things that are not up for debate that have made them the number one seed. First and foremost, it starts with Aaron Rodgers, the best player in football, in my opinion. Branches out to Matt LaFleur and that coaching staff and their ability to work in unison with Rodgers. And it trickles down into the offense and what the strength of that offense can be. The ability of Rodgers to run play action off of Jones and Dylan running behind that really good offensive line when it's healthy and then just picking people apart over and over. Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, MVS, Randall Cobb, who's supposed to be back for this game. One of these teams is going to lose and they're going to have to go through the process of the offseason. They're going to have to be honest with themselves and they're going to have to choose one of those three options I mentioned earlier. Is this worthy of a teardown? Was the loss so glaring and traumatic that we think this just needs to be torn down to the studs? Do we continue building? Or do we think that right now we are a Super Bowl contender and we did not win for whatever reason and we're content with staying relatively the same? Sunday, it's two games where all four teams 
check the boxes that I'm talking about. The Bucks and the Rams, two incredible football teams. For my money, the Bucks, they are the best team in football. Again, for the second straight year. Despite the fact that everybody's weeping and gnashing their teeth because Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown are gone. Yeah, that's not good because those two people are good at playing football. So it turns out the Tampa Bay Bucks have about as much depth as anybody <laughs> just across the board. And so most teams would be completely crippled if they lost two players of that caliber that were pass catchers. And instead, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the unfortunate reality of only being able to throw to one all-pro wide receiver amongst the best in football and Mike Evans and the unfortunate reality of only being able to throw to the best tight end of all time, Robert Gronkowski. And the unfortunate reality of being able to run and pass behind what, in my opinion, has been the best offensive line in football throughout the season. Their defense, when healthy, it's about as good as you're going to find. They're fast, they're physical, they have players at all three levels that can beat you. They also, strangely enough, if you're looking at points of weakness, I would point to the ability, if you can get pressure on the quarterback, to rattle this team. Saints have shown the blueprint for multiple years. If you want to study how to beat Tampa Bay, go and look at Dennis Allen and the way that he game planned for the Buccaneers and the way that with four people, they were able to continually get pressure on Brady and get him off his spots and get him out of rhythm and just completely submarine the Buccaneers' offense because of that. They did that twice this year. They did it last year during the regular season when they just hammered the Buccaneers, I believe, 38-3 to on Sunday Night Football. They're going against the Rams. The Rams, when they're on, look about as terrifying as anybody. The offense can do things. The defense can do things. McVay knows how to coach. They also can get wobbly. With Matt Stafford under center, he's had great games this year. He's had games that just make me go, uh, are you injured? What, what was that pass? What are you doing? Their defense, if you just smash mouth them, you can get at them. They're a team that's built upon speed and quickness, and they want to beat around, and they don't necessarily want to play that bruising style that a team like the Bucks wants to play. Just line up, and we're going to come right at you with Leonard Fournette over and over and over, and Ronald Jones over and over and over, and we're trusting that you don't want to be involved in a game like this. One of these teams is going to lose. One of these teams is going to have to go through the process. They're going to have to be honest, and they're going to have to identify the areas. No, these are not up for debate. This is what we believe in. This is what we believe has got us to this point and forms the foundation of a championship team. The Bills and the Chiefs, that's the last game. Holy cow, that's going to be a game. <laughs> I can't even wait for it. It's the most enticing matchup of the weekend outside of just because of my Packers affiliation that game. But strictly from a football perspective, this is the matchup of the weekend. Bills, they're the only team when they are rocking and rolling that I think matches what Tampa Bay can do in all phases of the game. Coaching, special teams, defense, offense. Josh Allen is a superstar, and he has turned in the performance of the playoffs so far against the Patriots last week. And they've also been an inconsistent team. They've lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> so, so you understand there that if you can lose to the Jaguars, you can lose to anybody. There are things there, there are cracks that the right team could exploit. Maybe it's the Chiefs. Explosive offense, a defense that can force turnovers, coaching staff that has been there, done that, knows how to win a Super Bowl, has done it. Chiefs, a team that's also been really inconsistent, just like the Bills this year. An offense that was stuck in hibernation for two and a half months. A defense that was stuck in hibernation for the first two months. And still struggles to defend the run a lot of times. 
and get off the field a lot of times. So four of these teams, four out of these eight, all incredible football teams. I could record an individual podcast about each of these teams, just expounding upon the strengths, the reasons that I find them to be entertaining to watch, and the reasons why I think they are very good at football. Why are they in this spot, and why, if things break right, I think they could win a championship. Four of these teams are going to be gone from the 2021 season after this weekend. So I'll take a pause and make another note. It does not mean they weren't championship caliber teams. Maybe it does. Maybe I'm wrong on some of these fronts. And maybe we see certain things that expose flaws in such a profound way that you understand, ooh, maybe it's not realistic to consider yourself a championship contender moving forward. And you have to make tweaks in these specific areas in order to ascend to that goal. On the other hand, more times than not, when you get to this stage of the season, it doesn't mean something that drastic. It just means that a championship caliber team didn't have certain things align in their favor. The stuff that I'm always talking about, the margins, the refs, the matchup with the opponent, the weather, the bounces of the ball, stuff that just, it's kind of random. And that stuff has to be factored into the process of the offseason, in my opinion. It's part of being honest, of being realistic. It's how you go about trying to find balance between those two parts of the equation, honesty and belief. It's how you identify what is realistic regarding yourself in your path to improvement. It's how you eliminate the noise and understand that truth about yourself. And it's how you identify the core, unshakable traits that build the foundation of your team. And if you are being honest, whether or not those pave the way to realistic championship aspirations. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Everything that I do, again, is on chrisrawl.com. Please download and subscribe to this podcast, rate it and review it on iTunes with five stars and help spread the word. Thank you.